right, turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 5, 13. And now today's message, on the back of your announcements, you can write the message. It's time for God's glory to shine in 2009. So I put it all together. I usually don't make little corny messages like names like that. You know that. So just kind of smile when I say it. Amen. Just be like, that's cool. It's time for God's glory to shine in 2009. What I'd like to do is now share with you some things that I believe everybody here should do in 2009. Everybody should do. These are things in the Scripture. have a bunch of Scripture. I have nine things for 2009. I'm kidding. I have a little bit less than that. I want to see if anybody reacts. You guys can handle nine. Amen. 2009 things. That would be a little more crazy, right? I got six things. Here they are. I'm just going to give them to you quick, and I'm going to go through them one at a time. Number one, everybody should be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Number one thing you need to have in 2009, you need to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Number two, you need to get discipled. You need to get discipled. Number three, you need to make disciples. You need to make disciples. Number four, you need to be a giver. You need to learn to live to give. Number five, get hungry for a move of God. How many want another move of God? Wasn't that wonderful when God was moving a few months ago and all that? How many want that back times a million? Praise God. And number six, love God and love people. So let's start with Matthew 5:13. I want to talk to you about how we're supposed to shine for God and the things that we can do this year. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, if you're there, say, I'm there. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So don't lose your saltiness. You don't want to get trampled. Amen? Uh, I I said you don't want to get trampled. Amen? Okay, now if you want to get trampled, go to hell with the devil. You can do that. But how many want to go to heaven? Can I hear an amen? Okay, help me out here. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. Point to where the light of the world is today, my friends. Yourself or your neighbor. Where's the light of the world? It's in you. It's in me if you have Christ. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Once again, point to where the light of the world is today, my friends. Come on. There you go. Now turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It's time for God's glory to shine in 2009. I think it's time that you and I go to another level with God. You're the light of the world. You can't hide the light that's in you. If you try to hide the light that's in you, you're going opposite of what God's asked you to do. God has asked you to stand out among people around you. God has asked you, matter of fact, he's commanded you to shine for him. So if you try to say to yourself, well, you know, pastor, I don't, you know, I don't know about all that shining for God. I just kind of want to go to church, mind my own business. You're in the wrong place, number one. This church is not for you. This church will not make you feel comfortable because we are going to teach you how to get your shine on. Number two, if you have that attitude, then that means you have something wrong in your mind about who you are. God asked you to get your shine on. God asked you to get on a hill and to show the whole world his glory. The light shining in you is God's presence. Why would you resist God in you? Don't do that. 
So for anybody to say, I'm not cool with that, they have a problem. So everybody this year should be able to say, it's time for God's glory to shine in 2009. Everybody should be able to say, I want to be the light of the world. I want God to shine through me. When he shines through you, sin will get out your life. You can't keep sin in your life if the glory is shining. What happens when the light comes on? Darkness flees, doesn't it? Every time the light comes on, darkness flees. You ever see darkness day when the light's on? You ever go into a dark room, turn on the light, and then the darkness says, hey, I don't want to go anywhere. And the light's shining bright, but it's still pitch black. You ever seen that? You never see that. The stars that we're seeing in the sky are literally thousands and sometimes millions of light years away. They are so far from us, but yet we can see them. They pierce through the darkness. Your light should shine so that your whole job sees that you're a Christian. Your light should shine in such a way that everybody in your family knows that you're a Christian, that everybody around you, that anybody that gets within a thousand light years of you should know that person is a Christian. That person is different. This is not just for uh, the super Christian. This is for every Christian. Who's the light of the world? Point to the light of the world one more time. Amen. Are you in Philippians chapter 2 verse 14? If you are, say I'm there. Look at what it says. Paul talking to the people. The last, it was Jesus talking. Now look at what Paul says. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing. So no complaining. Amen? How many would just like to hear all complainers stop complaining? How about on your job? Let me tell you something. If you're not raising your hand, you're the complainer, okay? If you're not the one raising your hand saying, I want complaining to stop, you're the complainer. So let's try this again. How many people want to see complaining stop? All right. No more complainers. How about this? No more arguing. Amen? No more arguing in the house. No more arguing in the church. This is what we do. You can like it or you can leave. Amen? Parents, say that to your children. If you don't like it, you're more than welcome to live on your own, pay your own bills. Hallelujah. So stop complaining. Stop arguing. I love the Bible. Amen? It just tells you as a T.I. is. As it. Tis, somebody help me, thank you. Look at verse 15. So that you may become blameless and pure. So if we stop complaining and arguing, we're blameless, we're pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Man, I wish I had an amen. Why is it so quiet today? Y'all don't feel like helping me preach? Come on. I need some help preaching. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. I need some amens. Look at that scripture just said. Paul said, if you don't complain, if you don't argue, if you get with the program, you're going to shine like stars. And he says, I, your pastor, am going to boast about you when we all meet Jesus. You see, that's my prayer, amen, when we get to heaven. It's like, Jesus, look at what Joselito did. He followed you. And as and he kept all your commands. And as Jesus begins to say, Joselito, you're awesome, I'm going to stand back and go, yes, God. He is awesome because you used me to help make him awesome. That's what Paul is saying. He says, I've worked hard at making you guys awesome. It's a hard job. I mean, I know you're all cute and pretty and nice, and you don't complain most of the time, and most of the time we don't argue in this church and everything. But it is hard work getting you all to shine bright and bright and bright because a lot of times little stars just want to stay right where they are. They don't want to shine anymore. How many know what I'm talking about? 
And what does your pastor have to do? Your pastor has to come up to you. Come on, twinkle, twinkle. <laughs> twinkle, twinkle. You can shine just a little bit more. You can give just a little bit more. You can go out and preach just a little bit more. You can love a little bit more. You see, I'm trying to provoke you. I'm trying to help you to do better. The Bible says, Paul says, that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. And I can thank God that I am not working for nothing. Now let us all be stars for Jesus Christ. Dancing with the stars is not for us. Amen? You can dance like a star and still go to hell. Hello? But you can shine like a star for Jesus Christ. Bless your church. Bless your pastor. And more importantly, bless Jesus Christ. Do you want to be a shining star for Jesus Christ? Just right where you are right now. Do you want to shine? Do you want God to just put more in you so more can come out? Sometimes people say, Pastor, I'm not shining very much. You know, just a little twinkle, twinkle here and there. I said, hey, you just got to ask God for more. He'll give you more of His presence. He'll give you more of His glory. He'll give you more of His power. He'll give you more of His patience. He'll give you more of His love. All you got to do is ask. All I have to do as a pastor every day is just ask, Lord, let me be like you today. Let me become more like you. And He changes me. He makes me more like Him. He gives me more opportunities to share His Word. Whether I'm snowboarding, I get to shine while I'm snowboarding. You all heard the story last week. While I was out snowboarding, getting my shine on for Jesus. Just like many of you, on your job, you're doing the different things that you do. And you're shining for God. This is what God has asked us to do. And right now in Metro Praise is the time for God's glory to shine. Right now, 2009. Come on. Right now, you can say, God, I want to do more than I've ever done before. I want to shine more than I've ever done before so that lives can be changed for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Now, let me talk to, you, talk to you today about these things that you can do to shine. Let's talk about being saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost, number one. We're just going to make it real simple today. A lot of reviewing for others, for many of you and for others, it's going to be great to hear it as encouragement to do this today. Turn with me to John 3, 3. One of our favorite scriptures here that's found in our, uh, our flyers, on our you know, banners out here. Being born again. You've got to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're not, I'm sorry, you can't shine. But if you get that, you can bling bling all day. Amen? Jesus Christ never intended any person to go to hell. Hell is a real place. People are going there, though. But he never intended that. If you're in this place right now and you go to hell, the Bible says you're a fool. If you're in this place right now and you have not been born again and you, re you reject the call to be born again, the Bible says you're a fool. If you have been born again and you backslide and are no longer born again, you're a fool. It's not hard, people. Jesus Christ gives us all the choice. You didn't have to get up this morning and brush your teeth, but most of you did. Amen. You didn't have to get up this morning and use the bathroom and the toilet. You could have wee-weed on yourself. Most of you managed to do that. Okay, hello. You don't have to get up every day and cuss. You don't have to get up every day and lust. You don't have to get up every day and drink a beer. You don't have to get up every day and be bitter and unforgiving. Hello. We can all get up and live for Jesus. Amen. It all starts with this. Everybody say, be born again. Look at John 3, 3. We, we, many of us say this by memory. In reply, everybody say it together. Jesus declared, no one. 
born again. Amen. Thank you for that, because I know we know that scripture here. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Okay, so starting right here, 2009, get born again. Backsliders, come back. Teach your family to get born again. Have Bible studies in your home, teaching everybody in the home to be born again. Ask people on your job if they want to go out for coffee. Teach them to be born again. Come to the ministries. Teach the visitors to be born again. Come to small groups and invite your friends to be born again. Are you all getting the point? Everybody needs to be born again. Heaven and hell are at stake. I remember when I was doing the snowboarding thing, I mean, it was cool. I was hanging 10. I was doing all the thing with them. And, you know, I was talking to them about Jesus. And this is a couple weeks ago. And these young guys, you know, were paying attention to me. I think a lot of just out of respect, you know, a 30-year-old man talking to like a 17-year-old young guy. They're like, you know, kind of listening to me, thinking I'm probably crazy a little bit. Well, I got to the end of the whole gospel message. You know, you accept Jesus, you go to heaven, do you want to do this? And they were just kind of like, Oh, yeah, well, not, not really right now, but I might do it later. And at that moment, I could tell, like, how they were thinking about what I was saying to them. They were kind of thinking, like, maybe I was that guy selling health insurance or something, or maybe I was trying to sell them on buying a new video game. And it was kind of just like, hey, this thing's really cool. If you want it, you should get it. But uh, if not, whatever, you know. And I stopped them, and I said, hold on, I want you to understand this. Right now, you have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not my message. I said, we just got done snowboarding. I said, this is fun and cute and everything. I said, but I want to I let you know something right here. What I just told you is your only way to heaven. You saying not right now puts you in the other category. You are going to hell right now. If you were to die. I said, this is not Joe the salesman trying to be cute and funny to to make you buy something that I'm selling. I said to them, I said, I go home tonight, take off the snowboard boots, I die. If I die, I go to heaven. If you get in a car accident, you go to hell. This is not a game, people. I know many of you come here every week and week after week we talk about heaven and hell, heaven and hell. I pray that some of you get touched with hell again for the first time, that it scares you again. I pray that it touches you again and brings tears to your eyes. This is not just, you know, like, well, you know, my friends, they're good people, but, you know, they don't go to church. You know, God's going to do something different with them. No, they're going to hell. Muslims are going to hell. Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, people who don't know the Lord, atheists, your friends, grandma who goes to St. Patrick's Church, thinks she lights a couple candles, thinks she's okay, she's going to hell. People in Protestant churches who said, oh, my dad's the pastor, I go to Sunday school, live in however they live, are going to hell. In 2009, you better be sure of your salvation. You better be sure to preach the message of salvation to everybody you know. Whether you're on the train going to work, just, hey, man, Jesus is good. You know about Jesus and tell them the story. And at the end, if they kind of look at you a little crazy, just tell them. Just say, hey, before we get off and we go about our work, I want to let you know, if you don't accept this, you don't go to heaven. Jesus said, no man can see the kingdom of God unless he is what? Born again. Amen. Somebody say saved. Now say sanctified. Amen. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. I'm just going to give you tons of scriptures. Last week we just went directly through the whole book of 2 Thessalonians, verse by verse by verse. Today I'm just giving you verses. And so if you want to check out these contexts and these chapters, go home and this week just study what I'm telling you, and you'll see it to be true as well. 
Sanctification is the process that happens after a person is saved. So meaning, look at your life like a cup. And maybe we'll just use this bottle of water, for example. Uh, This bottle of water is pure. It's acceptable, okay? Before we were saved, this bottle of water was filled with the most nastiest things in the whole world. This represented our heart, right? When Jesus Christ came in, he changed our lives, and he gave us a new heart, and he filled us, and that water would be like the Holy Spirit. He cleans your cup, which would be like the bottle. He cleans your heart, and then he placed inside of you his Holy Spirit. This is salvation. But there's a problem that we face even after we're saved, and that is our flesh. And what we mean by our flesh, our sinful nature, is our stinking thinking. Everybody say stinking thinking. And that's where all of our sins derive from. Oh, I want to lust. I want more money. I'm greedy. I don't forgive my enemies. Uh, I've lost my temper, etc. And what the Bible says is what happens is we begin to, to pollute our lives again. Sin begins to come back into our lives. How many have ever sinned since being born again? Okay, so what does that mean? That means you always need to be sanctified. And the word sanctify means to be made holy. So you need to have your thinking changed. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, be renewed in your mind, in your attitude, and start thinking different thoughts. And if you should sin in your thought or in your action, that you are to repent and say, God, cleanse me. And so this constant process of you changing your thinking, changing your behavior, and being cleansed of the times that you fall in sin is called sanctification. Everybody say sanctification. And this process, the Bible says, goes on till we reach heaven. So it's a perfecting of our lives, meaning that we are aiming for perfection. So somebody might say, well, hey, nobody's perfect. That's right, nobody's perfect, but we all should be aiming for perfection. And if you don't think God means to make you perfect, then you miss the whole point of what's going on. Adam and Eve were made perfect in the image of God. And when they sinned, that was missing the mark. See, the word sin in the Greek is actually the word hermonotoi. And hermonotoi means missing the mark. You see, some of you would think sin would be the same as evil. No, evil comes out of sin. Let me describe this to you. Sin is not gross and nasty and like raping and murdering. No, sin is missing the mark of God's perfection, doing anything else other than what God commanded. Let me give you the example right here. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and God told them, do not eat of this tree. Don't do that, right? And the day they did that, they ate of that tree that was sin, right? Did they smoke crack? Did they kill anybody? Did they run, did they, did they run and just hurl insults at God? I hate you running through the garden, you know, whatever. No. They ate the apple. And so what, what do most people think? Well, if it's not evil, it's not sin, you know? No. Sin is anything that God told you not to do. Sleeping in, missing prayer meeting can be sin. Though it's not evil to sleep, but you missing what God told you to do, that's sin. Hello? So this is going to make some sense to some of you. Because a lot of people think they're good people, and especially when you start coming to church a little bit, you see that religious attitude come out. Well, I'm pretty good. Well, let's just see how good you are compared to God's Word. Amen? So when we're talking about sanctification, we're saying, God, I want to do what you do. 
See, it's not me saying, well, I don't murder, I don't steal anymore, I'm a pretty good person. No, it's what do you do? Are you talking the way God asked you to talk? Are you praying the way he asked you to pray? Are you treating your neighbors the way he asked you to treat them? Are you giving of your finances the way? You see, living the life of God is a proactive lifestyle. It's not just sitting alone in some hut somewhere on a mountaintop in the Himalaya mountains going, I don't sin anymore. I don't sin. I'm hidden hidden away in this this monastery and I don't sin. No, the Christian life is just not doing bad things. It's doing the right things. Righteousness is living a righteous life. And sanctification is saying I'm aiming for the standard of perfection. You see, if God didn't intend you to be perfect, you would not have to repent of sin. Every time you sin, there was another action you could have done to be righteous. Take, for example, somebody curses you out. You now can be angry and curse them out, or you can forgive. You see, the forgiving is the righteous. The cursing out or being angry is the sin. Are you all with me? And so in our hearts, God judges us, and he sees what's going on. And we may be able to look good on the outside and say, oh, you know, I'm a pretty good person. But God says, no, 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 no. You were supposed to do this in this situation, but you didn't, and you polluted your life. You need to be sanctified. You need to be made holy. You need your thinking to change so you don't keep acting that way. And you need that junk that came into your heart. You need it to be cleansed. And that process is going on for the rest of your life. So all sin is to be avoided at all times. I'm going to say that again, and maybe I can get a little bit better of an amen. All sin is to be avoided at all times. There's never an acceptable sin. Every single time you have sinned, you need to repent because God expected you not to sin. God's expecting you to live perfect. You might say, well, nobody's perfect. That's right. But when he cleanses you and makes you righteous, he's expecting you to live perfect. And when you say, I missed the mark, here's where it comes from. They would shoot arrows at a target. Hermanotoi would mean they missed the target. When you have missed that target, you are saying to the Lord, I was supposed to hit the bullseye, say the right thing, talk to my wife right, get up and pray. I didn't do that. I just missed the mark. I didn't smoke crack. You know, I didn't maybe do all these evil things, but I sin and I I repent right now. And I admit, God, that you asked me to do it. You see, God is always asking you to do the right thing. It's never like he just says, sin's acceptable. Oh, that's okay. You go ahead and sin. Well, I expect you to sin there. And some people say, well, I got forgiveness. I can sin however much I want because I got forgiveness. You know, like forgiveness is like a rag we keep in our garage when we work around the house. We go in there and they just kind of wipe off our dirty hands. And that's always there. We're like, oh, you know, if I sin, it's just like that rag. I just clean my hands. No, no, no. That's not the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is holy. The blood of Jesus is for those that are pursuing Christ with a pure heart. The word repentance, what does it mean? It means re, meaning to return, and then pent, it comes from the word penance. Penance, rather, it means to re, re, get away from the thing you are sorry for, go away from, return to the right thing. So every time you sin, you are saying to, and when you repent, you're saying, God, I missed the mark, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do it better this time. By your grace, by your strength. That process is sanctification. Somebody say, sanctify me, Jesus. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. If you're there, say I'm there. 
Oh, glory to God. i got to get you a couple more scriptures up here. This is what it says. Do not be deceived. Look at verse 9. We'll go up here, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? See, the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. This is a lying generation. People want to lie to you and tell you homosexuals can go to heaven. These idolaters can go to heaven, worshiping Mary and St. Peter and all of this. The Bible says don't be deceived. Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. Those are homosexuals and sex before marriage and all of those sexual sins, pornography. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy. See, how would you know if you're greedy? See, only God can judge your heart if you're greedy. Come on, somebody. You can look good on the outside of everybody else. You've got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Amen? nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. Uh-oh. See, Paul is now preaching to like people in Metro Praise. He's like, while well, well, we all getting excited, amen, Paul, tell them they're going to hell. He's like, but that's what some of y'all were too. How many used to be something on that list right there? Come on, some of us used to be almost all of them. Maybe not a homosexual offender. We might have one or two in here. Who knows? A male prostitute. We've had a male dancer in here before. You never know what you might find in the church. But the Bible says this is what you were. Now look at this right here. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what he does is he sets us free so that we can keep living free. I love how the scripture says it in another place. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Christ sets you free so you can live free. And if you stumble and fall, the Bible says you repent. You turn away from that wickedness. You admit it was wrong. You don't make yourself out to be some victim. Oh, the devil made me do it. Remember when Adam and Eve got caught in sin? That you know, Adam's pointing at the woman. The woman's pointing at the snake. Don't do that. Just fall on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. I am the one that sinned. I sinned against you. Now change me, wash me, cleanse me, justify me. Amen? Now go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. See, I'm telling you, it's going to be a good year, people. It's going to be a great year. It's time to get the glory shining in 2009. I know it's time. I know it's time. It's, it's going to be so many awesome things happening in your life and in my life. Inward character. Man, I, I just thank God that I'm ready to be a father now. You know why? Because God wants me to get my shine on. The character inside my heart has changed. I'm not the same man I used to be. For you to go to the next level with God, you've got to change on the inside. Oh, look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Now, this is, being called, uh, this is being filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're there, say, I'm there. Look at it right here. It says, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That means just drunkenness and stupidity. Instead, be what? Come on, everybody say, instead, be what? Filled with the what? The Spirit of God. So I want everybody this year to get saved. God wants you, better yet, God wants you to get born again, saved, sanctified, washed of your sins, living holy and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? If you get a little dry, if you feel like your cup's getting a little empty, just take another dip in the Holy Ghost. Just take another dip. It's okay. Take another drink. The Holy Ghost bartender is always going to serve you up another. Amen? You can just say, oh, Lord, I need more. And he'll give it to you. 
You could just come on your knees and just say it so simply, Lord, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Give me more of you. That word right there, filled, in the Greek means to be continually filled. It's not just, oh, I was filled back in November 5th, 1995. You know? No, it's like I am being filled today. I was filled in that corner, shikaboomba, hallelujah. I'm going to be filled on my way home, putting on some Jesus culture music. When I come back tonight, Sunday night, I'm going to take another dip in the Holy Ghost. Amen. man, another dose of the Holy Ghost. Just keep being filled. Be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. If you love Jesus. Jesus, say amen. Woo, come on. Now let's get discipled. Come, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Number two, you need to be discipled. Number one was saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Number two is get discipled. It's, it's your time to shine. Don't just sit in the back. Don't try to hide your light. Get involved in the church. Get involved in people's lives. Let somebody disciple you and mentor you and pour into you. Don't just say you're a little a little candle out there all by yourself. You're not by yourself. You're with a whole bunch of people here. Amen? You ever seen a house for Christmas lit, lit up by just one little bulb like that? This one little bulb just shining. Come on. No, you see thousands of those bulbs, and then everybody comes by, oh, that's you. That's the church. Amen? Look at your neighbor and just go, oh. <laughs> See, it's your turn. So how do we all personally get developed into the best light we can be? We are discipled. How did your pastor become a pastor? He got discipled. How did Ish become an elder? He got discipled. How do you learn about God? You get discipled, okay? This is not just figure it all out on your own type of church. God never intended you to do that, okay? He didn't, he didn't put Adam and Eve as babies in the garden with some seeds and a shovel and say, hey, start your own garden, okay? He taught them how to do it. He planted it. He showed them what was going on. Are you all listening to me? When I have a child right here, I don't just set them in front of the college and I say, You'll figure it out one day. You'll graduate from here. Hello? I spend, you all look at me like I'm crazy. Do we do that with children? Do I take little Bethany, set her down in front of the college, and go, you'll figure it out. I'll be back in about 18 years. We develop our children. We spend time with them every day. Sometimes she poo-poos on herself, and we say, don't do that. Or we can't even talk to her right now about that. We just kind of kiss her a whole lot. But eventually she'll get old enough to where I'll tell her not to poop on herself. Amen? Okay, and then we'll tell her, you know, why, you know, she may go one day, well, why can't I poop on myself? And I'll just be like, that's not what you want to do. It's unsanitary. It's not clean. You'll stinky, etc. Now, listen to me. It's the same thing in the church. You know, people just want to poop on themselves, have bad attitudes, live for the devil. And they want to just ask you, hey, can I still go to heaven and poop on myself? No, you really can't because you make God puke, okay? He wants you to come to heaven clean, okay? Now, if you're dirty and you're stinking, you're poopy, we'll clean you up, all right? But you got to get discipled, all right? You know, if you're 30 years old and you're still pooping on yourself, you got a problem, right? And that's seriously, it's a problem. And if you need help with that, God bless you. We'll pray for you to get healed. Amen? But listen to me. When you, when you are 30 years old, you know how to go to the bathroom. Well, if you've been in Christ for a while, you should know how to watch your attitude. You should know how to love people and treat your neighbor. You should be able to be submissive and humble and holy and all that. Somebody say, discipled. How do you do that? You get taught how to do that, just like we teach our children. If you're in Matthew 28, can you say, I'm there? I just got to have you say this. Look at your neighbor and say, no poopy pants. <laughs> no poopy pants. We love you with poopy pants, but it's so much easier if you don't have the poopy pants. It makes it so much funner for everybody involved. Amen? <laughs> Thank you, Brother Ish. Look at Matthew chapter 28. 
Now, this is one of our favorite scriptures. You've heard it a million times if you've been here. Verse 16. Then the eleven what? Disciples. Who are these guys? They are what? Disciples. What did Jesus make while he was on earth? Disciples. Did he make believers, converts, Christians, church attendees? What did he make? Disciples. They went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. So disciples worship Jesus. Some doubted. Sometimes disciples have doubts. That's okay. Jesus will teach you how to get through that. Verse 18, then Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make big churches and sell a lot of books and have big choirs. Is that what he said? Did he say, go and start TV? You guys just know I love this, right? And you love it, and I love it. It's like, what? Okay. Did Jesus say, go and make big TV ministries and pastors that wear three-piece suit and teach motivational sermons? Is that what he said? No. He said, therefore, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go and bore, uh, be birth disciples. No, a, disir- a disciple is made just like a cake. Okay, we're born again into the kingdom of God. You know, wheat comes from somewhere, sugar comes from somewhere. But when you want to put that together for a cake, you have to make it. And when Jesus Christ saves you, now you need to be made into a disciple. It's just not going to boop and happen to you, okay? It's just like, boop, I'm a disciple now. Here I am. I'm like Peter. Watch me walk on water. No, you're, you're not ready for that yet, okay? Even that experienced disciple wasn't ready for that. You need to be made. Somebody say, make a disciple. Amen. It means it's going to take work and discipline and teaching. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, Boricua nations, Latino, Mexicano nations, Polish nations, Italian nations. Amen. All the nations of the world, America, everywhere. Make disciples of these nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And look at this part right here. And teaching them to what? Obey everything. Thank you. I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you. Always to the very end of the age. Isn't that, isn't that fun right here? Doesn't that sound like fun? Man, this is awesome. I mean, imagine being there with Jesus. Like, oh, man, Jesus, you're awesome. And now you're telling me I can be awesome. And I can make other people that are awesome. It's just all about being awesome. It's like, wow, I've learned. You know, like Peter's probably saying, like, look, I've learned so much from you, Jesus. You've changed my life. You're awesome. You know, and I'm going to teach this to others. It's going to change their lives. And that's what's been going on for 2,000 years. I'm not here by accident. I wasn't just like woke up one morning. I'm a disciple, poof, and I'm going to teach and preach the gospel. No, I was born again by Jesus because what? Somebody preached to me. Somebody like my mother, and she had to be taught how to preach. My mother didn't tell me when I was on drugs, Joe, you're okay. You're fine. Just keep doing what you do, and you'll make it to heaven. No, my mother was taught what a Christian was, what a Christian wasn't. She was taught how to lead somebody to Jesus. So my mother led me to the Lord, right? And then I was made a disciple in Bible college, and I worked in the ministry there. Then I came to Chicago and started a church with those same principles. And now the people that I've taught how to be disciples, they're teaching disciples. Man, you can trace this back 2,000 years. Everybody here should be a disciple. Say, I'm a disciple. Join discipleship class. It's so easy. The 101 book comes right to you one-on-one. You can just spend time together with a mentor. This is like a leader who's going to get involved in your life. We have it for all ages. We have the married couples, you know, uh, David and Araceli. We have the single young adults, the cool guys. We have the youth, the cool kids, (laughs) the cool meals and mijas. Though I know that you're not, but to me that you are. Just you're so adorable, Ditos. And so... 
it doesn't matter if you're young, you're old, you're married. You know, everybody can be a disciple. Everybody say, be a disciple. That's number two. Now, number three, somebody say, make disciples. You could use that same scripture, but turn with me to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, 2. And I'm going to show you another scripture that simply says, here's what we do. We are disciples making disciples. Sounds like that might make a good name of a book or something, right? Disciples making disciples. Some of you all got that. That's my life passion. I want to love God. I want to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. And right after that, I want to love people. I want to help make disciples. I know that you you are a part of this church. You love that as well. And if you're just new here, just get in this, get in that vision. Just get knee deep in this vision. 2009 is your time for God's glory to shine in your life. And it's going to happen while people impart to you. People are going to impart to you in discipleship how to treat your family, how to get along, how to do things better, how to pray, how to do all these things that you're learning here, how to speak in tongues, how to have spiritual gifts, how to impact your world, fulfill your destiny. I mean, these are wonderful things, and it all comes through discipleship. Now look at 2 Timothy 2, verse too. And look what Paul said to this young man, Timothy, the very relationship. The reason why there's a book is because of discipleship. Who is Timothy? He's a young man that Paul is discipling. Now look at what he tells him. He says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Everybody say, reach one to teach one to reach one. Come on, say it again. Reach one to teach one to reach one. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to reach one to teach one to reach one. Look at your other neighbor and say, neighbor, you need to reach one to teach one to reach one. Isn't that beautiful? And the Bible literally says that we are working with Jesus. We're sharing in the work of the Lord. As I was back there praying and just getting the message ready, it just hit me. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. I've probably preached over 5,000 sermons, and it just hit me like the very first time. I mean, I was just back, and I was like, wow, I get to do what Jesus does today. That was awesome. I mean, that just gave me the Holy Ghost giggles. I was like, thank you, Jesus. I get to work with you. You know what I'm saying? I really want to be an elote man. Some of you guys know I love elotes. I really want to do that. And we have an elote man in our Latino ministry. And I am like, Juan, I have to come with you and learn how to make the elotes. And some of you all think I'm kidding, but I love to make elotes. Am I telling the truth, Jasmine? We've handed out free elotes in front of Prosser School. We have the horn. It's so much fun. And they come, and they're like, free elotes, really? And I say, yes, for you. And then they come and I say, honk the horn. And they're like a little shy. They're like, and then like they get excited. And they're like, and I said to Juan, I said to Juan, I said, Juan, I want to come with you and learn how you do it. And you get down with the cart and everything. You see, it's just a simple principle. If Juan knows more about something than I do, he should teach me how to do that. Amen. And there ought to be somebody in this church that knows a little bit more about this than you do. And that's okay. Amen. We're not know-it-alls here. We're not trying to be mean-spirited. Yes, I'm learning the Greek. I'm in seminary. But I won't talk to you like you're dumb and I'm just here to help. Okay, I'm not always right. I make mistakes once in a lifetime, maybe two or three. Okay, you know what I'm saying? But listen, we're here to learn this. Amen. Everybody say make a disciple. So when you get into somebody's life and trust me, I've been in people's life when they just don't want to learn how to do it. 
And, and to me, that's the most frustrating thing. Imagine this. I mean, I almost want to cry just thinking about it because I would never do this to Juan in our Latino ministry. But imagine me saying to Juan, Juan, you're awesome, man. These are great in lotes. Teach me how to do it. And the entire time I'm with him, he's giving his time. He's not, I'm not paying him. He's giving his time. And, and the whole entire time, I'm like, no, don't do it that way. You know, don't, don't put that much corn in there. Don't, don't put the mayonnaise like that. Don't shave it off like that. How many know that would be insulting to Juan? I mean, that would just break his heart. He'd be like, why would my pastor come and, and try to tell me how to make a lotes? That's so insulting. Am I right? Why would people come to this church and when we sit down and talk to them, they, they try to tell us what they know about the Bible? Well, what's wrong with that picture? Why are people so prideful like that? Don't be prideful like that. If you've come to this church, listen to me. This church has an order. And then there's a way we do things here. And you may, you may have wrote the whole Bible with Paul, okay? You may be the most spiritual person on the planet. But if you come here, just, just learn from us. I promise you, you're going to learn something you haven't learned before. Even David and Araceli, they said one of the first things that impressed them is the youthfulness of the church, but how much they knew about the Bible. You see, it's very easy for people to come here, and trust me, I know what it's like to be a religious pastor. I have three-piece suits. I know how to dress up. I have all of those things, okay? And, and I know what it's like to belittle people, but I don't do that. But God told me, be comfortable however I dress Sunday the rest of the day, dress Sunday in the morning, okay? I hated that feeling where I went to church. I was always uncomfortable. I couldn't kneel and pray. And then the moment I got home, I had to change. And I was like, now I'm comfortable. Okay. I just happened to wear clothes. I'm comfortable. And it's not inappropriate. Hello. Are you with me? And when Dave and Aristotle came, they, you know, they invited some of their family and they were like, they were excited. They were saying, man, my pastor loves Jesus. You know, these people that are in their twenties and thirties, they're young, but they know about the word. And he said, some of his family members were just like, no, no, I don't think they know about the word. Am I telling the truth, my brother? But you know what the thing is? They never gave us a chance. They never humbled themselves. Because let me tell you something. I've been around for a long time. Most of the people, 99% of the people who act that way, the people in this church know 100 times more than them. I am serious. I'm, as a pastor in seminary, hardly any pastor has actually have gone to seminary. Very seldom, especially in Pentecostal faith. And I meet these pastors. They have these suits. And they try to talk down to me. And I'm like listening to them going, dude, you don't even know where your Bible came from. I could take this Bible, speak it to you in a, the original language, slap you upside the head, name a couple church fathers, and you wouldn't even know what hit you in your three-piece suit. But we don't talk to people like that. You know why? Because we're not here to boast. Jesus, hello, Jesus, the Son of God, did not come down and be like, zap, zap, and just start sending people to hell. You don't believe in me? Believe in that, son. You know what I'm saying? Jesus, Jesus allowed people to mock him, laugh at him, not take him seriously, but that didn't mean they had to be his disciples. Are you with me? You see, we're looking for people that want to learn and then those people who want to teach others. When you are a disciple and you're making disciples, it's going to be the greatest experience of your life. Amen? Amen. Let's go. Just a few more right here. Be a giver. Everybody turn with me to Luke chapter 6, verse 38. We talked about being saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Number two, get disciple. Number three, make disciples. Now number four. Be a giver. This is how you're going to shine. Everybody loves somebody who helps people. Everybody. You know what I'm talking about. You have a friend that you remember that gave you rides to school. I can tell you Matt Lovell gave me rides to school. I love that guy. I can tell you everybody in my life that has given something to me that's just made a difference in me. I can tell you the guy on the airplane gave over $20,000. I can tell you Hector and Kathy were the first people in Chicago to bring me to their home and give me a dinner. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
See, I can tell you people who have given things in my life. Think about all the people in your life who have given to you, made a difference, gave you advice, gave you a ride, gave you a lunch when you didn't have one when you were a kid, just, or just as an adult took you under the wing, taught you their business, and you're making money because of what they taught you. You see, life is about giving. Life is about giving. Maybe it was your parents giving to you. Maybe it was a friend. And listen to me. And, and even if you had it rough and a lot of people didn't give to you, doesn't mean you've got to be that way with others. Even if you had to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, still be a giver. I remember when Ricky and I were trying to get into real estate before this whole thing crashed and messed up. You know, I was calling these guys, and I was like, hey, man, can you teach us real estate? And they were like, nobody taught me how to do it. I'm not going to teach anybody. You're going to have to learn the hard way. You know, that's how they talk to us. And a lot of people in the world are like that. But the Bible says we need to learn to give, live to give, give advice to people, give a meal to somebody. And I'm not just talking about like you have to give them a million dollar check like they won the lottery. I'm talking about just giving people what you have to give that can help them. Everybody here has something that they can give to somebody else. One time in the church I did something in New Orleans. I said just to teach this message, I said everybody stand up and say what you do and what you can give. And then we're going to pair you up with people. One person would stand up and say, you know, I love kids. I can do babysitting. Then the mother would say, man, I need you. Come and do a night of babysitting. Another person would stand up and say, man, I do, I do great yard work. I just love hanging out in my backyard. I clean up. Somebody would say, man, can you come over? I need some help on that. A young person would stand up and say, hey, man, I like hanging out with other young people and, and playing video games. One person would say, hey, my teenager doesn't like coming to church. Would you come over and just hang out with them? You see, we all have something to give, whether it's... It's our friendship, our time, our life, our money. Everybody say live to give. It will make a difference. Luke chapter 6 verse 38 teaches this principle. It works in business and any part of life. Even non-Christians see this work. And this is one of the most greatest principles of life, living to give. If you're there, say I'm there. It says give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down Shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Isn't that awesome? What are you giving away in life? Come on, you got to live to give. What are you giving away? Nelson giving away his ability to fix the van, you know. Hey, I can fix vans. Great. We get our van stolen like every other week. Can you help us here? <laughs> can you install alarms? Amen. The club, everything. Bolt it down. Come on, Adolfo. Hey, Adolfo says, I, you know, Adolfo and Andrew, hey, we're bachelors to the raptures. We, we got our, uh, our house opened up. Hey, everybody can hang out. So, okay, people who like to hang out, go to Adolfo and Andrew's house. You see, what are you giving in life right now? Think about that. What are you giving? If you are giving in life, you will have it given back to you. You see me talk all the time about Africa and India and all these things. I have seen this in my life. You know, because as a pastor, I don't make a lot of money. You know, I don't have big checks and different things. But I have seen from Nelson's come and fix my car to help me out all the way to when I didn't have insurance. A, a Christian man was a doctor. How many would like to see the doctor for free? Come on. The man said to me, hey, you don't have insurance? Come. I'll, whatever you need. Checkups all for free. Praise God. I remember I was sick, and you know the emergency room cost like $500. And, and my friend told me about it. He said, my dad is a doctor, and he'll help you for free. And I remember his name, Dr. Belga. And I went to go see him. Some of you know Sonny's dad. And I went to see him, and he just willingly gave that to me. He said, here's your prescription. It's free. And he said, anytime after this, come to me. And for like six months, when my wife and I didn't have insurance, anything we needed, we came to Dr. Belga. 
I remember my dad, you know, my dad has always had nice cars, Cadillacs, Lincolns. That's one thing he likes to have. And I remember he had this beautiful Cadillac. And I was talking to him one day, and he said, yeah, you know, I just let a brother in my church use the, the car to bring up to Indianapolis to do a job interview. And, you know, he brought it back. He was just telling the story. And I was like, you did what? I'm like, you let somebody borrow the caddy? And, and, and I just was shocked, you know what I'm saying? Because I wouldn't even let anybody borrow the Chrysler, you know what I'm saying? And, and, I, and my dad let somebody borrow the Sedan DeVille, a member of his church. Come on, we need some more members like that, amen, that will lend you their Cadillac. Now, you've got to be trustworthy and bring it back in one piece, amen? But I began to realize my dad's a giver. A man needed to you know, go up to Indianapolis. They live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, two and a half hours away. He didn't have a car. My dad felt it in his heart. Hey, here's the keys of the Cadillac. Now, we're not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about you pouring out your wallet to the homeless man saying, hey, have it all, you know, or just, you know, giving a kid your car keys like, you know, like these guys who want to ask us now for our car keys. I can see David right now. How can I get the car? Now, it's not being irresponsible giving, but it's giving the way God has commanded you to give. And the Bible says, give with a willing and cheerful heart. Look to Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Just another scripture on that principle. That if you just give, it will be given to you. Now, remember in that scripture, Luke 6, 38, that it says, men will give back to you. So we're not just talking about like angels from heaven flood, flap their wings and come and give to you. No, Bible says God actually uses people. And how many know blessings come through people? God may move their heart, but it comes through people. Hello? Amen. That $100,000 is a blessing. An angel didn't bring it. People brought it. Amen? That's the principle. Look at uh, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. If you're there, say I'm there. It says, do not be deceived. So don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. A man reaps whatever he sows. So think of like a farmer now. If a farmer sows tomato seeds, what does he get? A tomato plant. If he farms apples and he puts apple seeds down, what does he get? An apple tree. Okay. A man reaps whatever he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now look at this, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Isn't that beautiful? How many know that when the farmer puts that seed in the ground, he doesn't expect to see the harvest tomorrow? He has to wait. And sometimes the farmers will tell you when they're tilling new ground, like my, my grandfather was a farmer, that even the first two or three uh, crops, they don't come up, you know, the harvest. It takes two or three times to keep tilling that ground, tilling that ground, getting it fertile. You know what? Sometimes you're going to keep giving and giving. Nobody will give back to you. You'll feel like you're just all alone. It's not worth it. Oh, poor little old me, I'm coming to church, and I help people with rides, but nobody gives me a ride, and I need this, and I need that, and I do it for everybody. Nobody does it for me. You know what? You just keep giving. The Bible says you'll reap. Amen. And look at what it says. Verse 10. If you didn't think it applied to that, look at what it says. Therefore, as we have opportunity, where's he talking about sowing and reaping? Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And that right there is the reason why we give to missions. And I always tell our people, like in India, I say, I'm giving to you and to the church first. Before we go out and start feeding all the poor, all the homeless, one billion people of India, I said, 
I want the church to be taken care of. I want you, the pastor, to be taken care of. Amen? When we go to India, we've already raised $5,000 for India. When we go there, one of the things we're doing is helping them get a building. He already has one in the village for one of his churches, but another church in the city has no building. We, Metro Praise, get the building. We're going to get the chairs. Hallelujah. We're going to get him a printer so he can print out the materials that he needs. We're going to get him a sound system, all of those things. Why? Because we're doing good for him. We're sowing. And the Bible says if we sow, and those are your dollars, by the way. It's not like Joe's walking over there writing him a check of $10,000. I'm using the money you gave and the money our families put together. When we sow in the Spirit, we're going to reap a harvest. Things will loose in our family. Things will loose in our job. Our lost loved one may get saved because we sowed a seed in Africa or India. Amen? Live to give. Everybody say, live to give. Would you stand up on your feet with me, please? Number five, get hungry for a move of God. Just keep your Bible in your hand if you can as we're stretching out, getting ready to close. Band, would you come forward, please? John 14. We are going to take communion. And we're going to take communion in this uh, first service of the year. Just thanking God for all he's done and what he's going to do. Get hungry for a move of God. John 14, 12. This is Jesus talking to his disciples right before he goes to heaven. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Did you all understand what we just read right there? Cynthia, did you get that? God is saying, you can do what Jesus did. Come on. What did Jesus do? He healed the sick, cast out devils, raised the dead, multiplied food, fed 5,000 men plus children, probably over 10,000 people. You can do that. You might say, well, Pastor, I don't see that. Well, it's not God's fault because he told us the remedy or how to get get it right here. He said, if you have faith. Faith is not just wishing. I don't just wake up in the morning and say, man, I wish I have a great service today and go back to bed. No, faith is me getting out of bed, coming to church, preparing a message. And then I say, Lord, I pray this would be the best service we've ever had. See, that's faith. It's me doing something, right? It's not just you going to work tomorrow saying, or, uh, you know, tomorrow in the morning saying, I hope today's the best day of my job and then sleeping in. No, it's you getting up and saying, okay, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to make my sales. I'm going to meet customers. And, Lord, while I'm out having faith, as I'm doing this, Lord, you bring down the blessing. Well, the same thing happens when it comes to a move of God. You have to start looking for sick people to pray for. If you're ever going to see a healing. You have to start looking for hurting people to heal their pains on the inside. If you ever want to see somebody healed like the adulterous woman in the Bible. Remember that woman who committed adultery? She was about ready to be stoned. Jesus said, don't stone her. You know, whoever has no sin, throw the first stone. Then he looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. Okay, if you want to have those encounters in your life, if you want to change people's lives like that, you got to go find those people. you got to go find hurting people and heal them. I want a move of God in this church. I want more than just church. I want more than just like we came, heard a lesson, sang a couple songs. I want people to meet God in our services. 
and crossover service and youth service. Sunday morning today, sick people, come on, we're going to pray for you in just a little bit. Get healed. Those that have addictions, get set free. The reason why I put get hungry for God is because all throughout the book of Psalms, David always talks about if you want God, it's like hunger or thirst. And if you get hungry or thirsty, God comes to that desperation. David said in one place, I'm thirsting after God like a deer pants for water. You see, if this congregation is going to shine in 2009, we got to come here on Sunday mornings hungry for God. Seriously, you got to come here hungry. Guys, when you're coming to pray, we need to pray with all of our heart and say, Jesus, move in this service. When you're going through your week and you're driving your car, you need to put in some worship music and say, Jesus, I'm so hungry for you. I'm desperate. The job, the money, my family, it's not good enough. I need an encounter of the God kind. I need you today, Jesus. Come on, I have a family. I have a house. I have a car. I have a couple dollars in the bank account. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't make you happy, friends. Only Jesus. Jesus makes me have a happy home. Jesus blesses my wife and I. Jesus gives me a heart to be a good father. Come on, I want to get more hungry for God. You see, if you're so full on the world, you won't want God. Just like during Christmas, I am sure all of us probably came to this point where we were just like, no more. I cannot eat another thing. I remember being in the South. It's very much like Latino culture down in the South. People keep feeding you and feeding you and feeding you. You know, my friend said, this is how I get them to stop. He says, I look them right in the eye and I say, if you give me any more, I will puke on this table. He said, that's when Wade out puts away the food. Okay, Tito, you're done. Dude, I ate so much, man. My, my belly was hurting. Listen, so many people get fed from the world. They watch movies. They have entertainment. They have their girlfriend, their boyfriend, all of that. And they come to church, and they're so full off the junk of this world. And we try to hold out the food of heaven, and it makes them sick. They're like, no, I don't want Jesus. I don't want to pray. That's not what I came for. Oh, this is weird. I don't want it. Come on. Don't fill up on junk food. Don't get so full on the world, on the garbage out here, on sex, money, drugs, on career, on education, that when you come here, you're like, no, I'm fine. My life is okay. I'm happy. Look at my tax returns. I'm doing good. Look at little Johnny. He's a good kid. No, my friends. When you come here, come desperate. Come like a beggar, not like we are beggars, but just come desperate. Just say, God, if I don't meet with you today, I'll die. If I don't feel your presence, I can't go on. Ah, feed me, Jesus. You ever seen those movies when they, when they haven't drink water for a while and they give that guy water and it's pouring all over him and getting all, he don't care. He says, ah, give it to me, Jesus. Knock me down, roll me over, buck, jerk, run, shout, holler, cry, laugh. Just touch me, Jesus. I don't care how. Just do it. I need you. Ahora, right now. Amen? To sum up everything we've learned, we need to get saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. We need to be disciples of Jesus Christ. 
We need to make other disciples and touch people's lives. We need to learn to be givers and live to give. We need to get hungry for a move of God. And if I was going to sum it all up, I would sum it up in the last point, Matthew chapter 22, verse 33, which Jesus was asked, what are the greatest commandments? What's the greatest thing we can do in life? Jesus said what our vision of the church is. It's his vision. Starting in verse 33, or rather verse 37, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourselves. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What what can you do this year to get your shine on and have the glory of God in 2009? Love God and love people. Don't be like everybody else. Live a different life. Guys with the communion, would you please come forward? Let's get ready to have a God encounter. How many are hungry for God today? Amen. Come on, as you take this communion in just a few moments, get hungry for God. Make just a place up at this altar and pray. Families who came together, take your communion together and just lay out before God. I'm going to just miss at communion. In about 10 minutes, cafe, you can open up if people need it. But I'm not going to have any more of a formal dismissal than just what I pray here. Because I'm going to let some of you start 2009 on your knees with your family saying, Jesus, I want more. I just want you. Come on, if you love Jesus, just raise up your hands and say, I love you, Lord. Glory to your name, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, God. We need you. We want you. We need you. If you came into this place and you're not born again and you need Jesus, just come to this altar even right now and just repent of your sins and say, Jesus, forgive me, change me, sanctify me, save me. Fill me. Come on. Who needs to be born again? Just come. The rest of us, come on. Just keep your hands raised as an act of worship. We're calling on you, Lord. We're calling on you, Jesus. It's time for your glory to shine in 2009. Start in my family. Start in my life, Jesus. Yando Jesus, I pray in these next few moments as we take the way for representing your body, Father God, that you will just show us once again that, Father God, that your body was broken for us on Calvary. That if it wasn't for you coming in the flesh, we would not be saved. Father God, as we come and partake of it, God, I pray you just change our lives. And Father God, as we partake of the juice today, which represents your blood, Father God, I pray that we will remember that it was the shedding of blood that brought us forgiveness. Hallelujah. It was the shedding of blood. It was because you were whipped 39 times. It was because, Jesus, you were whipped. Come on, brother, play the drums, man. It was because you were whipped. You were beaten that we were saved. Now, Father God, as we come up and take communion, our first time this year, Father God, we dedicate this year to you. This is your year, and we declare it's your time for your glory to shine in our lives. Now, if you can just come up orderly, just come take the communion on your own. Just receive it. Kneel and pray. And God bless you this week and this year. You can leave whenever you want to. But if you're hungry for God, as we just begin to worship, 
as we begin to just get intense in this place today. Just come on, call out to God. Let's sing a song. Come on. My soul longs for you.